the topic this morning is the goal of our salvation right i'm going to start with a question and i'm going to really dare you to dream right uh, i'm going to really dare you to dream when you get to heaven what is the one thing that you really hope to find completely mended restored and made beautiful again when you get to heaven what is the one thing that you hope to find completely mended something that you dearly love uh, something that is broken probably you wanted that completely mended restored and made beautiful again if you're not a follower of jesus and don't really believe in heaven that's totally fine but you can still join in on the imagination if there ever was something like paradise what is the one thing that you really hope to see there what is the one thing that you really hope one aspect of your life maybe that you that you would like to be found completely made beautiful and amazing again take a moment to 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 picture it to dream it i see i see some smiling face in the room so i i know that you're already picturing it and take a moment to feel it we're going to come back to this question later in the talk and and i'm asking this because it's it's got something to do with what we're talking about today uh we're going to be talking about the goal of our salvation the passage i picked out today is really interesting because it happens about 700 years approximately before jesus even walked on this earth and um it's it's written by a prophet his name is isaiah he's prophesied a lot about jesus which actually came true and here's the interesting part he's also prophesied about what we are going to say when we get to heaven isn't that surreal he's telling when you get to heaven this is the first thing you will say so so it's it's very interesting right um we'll the uh, let me set some context to what's happening in today's passage so that will help us understand what's happening a bit better yeah uh, it's it's happening 700 years before and it it's this uh, prophecy comes to god's chosen nation israel now this this nation uh jesus was supposed to come from this nation god chose this nation to send jesus onto this earth um and and at this time this nation was in a really messed up state really broken and the prophet really sums it up in this one verse where he says a sinful nation a people laden with iniquity offspring of evil doers ch- uh children who deal corruptly they have forsaken the lord and they have despised the holy one of israel and look at this they are utterly estranged this is this is what their state was when isaiah writes um, brings this prophecy so god calls them out on their sinfulness and what's happening is he warns them about the future judgment to come but here's the beautiful part all through the book interspersed in all these warnings are glimpses of salvation glimpses of jesus right through the book and we're going to be reading one of them today the passage i picked is isaiah chapter 12 um 
it's a very short passage, so I'm just going to read the passage out for us. You will say in that day, I give thanks to you. That day is when the, the perfect rule of Jesus is in place and, and the new creation is in place. Uh, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray before we dive in. Lord, we want to thank you for the power that your word has in our lives. It is truly a double-edged sword. It has the power to... Uh, to cut through our hearts uh, and, and uh, go straight to the pain points of our sinfulness and transform it. Holy Spirit, would you take this word this morning and apply it to our hearts? Uh, you know where each of our hearts are this morning. Would you take this word and apply it where we need it the most? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is what we're going to look at this morning. The first thing uh, from, the, from the passage itself, God is my salvation. What does that mean? God is my salvation. Second thing, what salvation am I seeking? And the third thing, what does it actually look like to enjoy God as our salvation? Yeah, these are three things that we're going to be looking at. Uh, the first thing, God is my salvation. Isaiah proclaims, he's saying, uh, he, he, the, the day when in the new heavens and the new earth, when we see Christ, Israel will cry out, Behold, God is my salvation. He's not saying God has given me salvation or God has brought me salvation. He's saying God is my salvation. What does this mean? What does God is my salvation mean? We find the explanation for it in the previous verse. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, because look at these three lines. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. And then he says, behold, God is my salvation. Look at what's happening. Israel first acknowledges that God was angry. God was angry at them with their sinfulness. They see and recognize that God wasn't just a weak teddy bear God who, who's, who just wants to love us and turn a blind eye to our sinfulness. They see him as infinitely holy, perfectly just, who's, anger, who's angered by sin. 
And second thing, they see that God's anger is turned away. As followers of Jesus, we know that God's anger turning away doesn't mean that God was just turning a blind eye to our sinfulness, but God was directing that just and holy wrath towards Christ who willingly became sin for us. So God is angry. God's anger turned away to Christ. Look at the third part. That you might comfort me. God's anger is turned away not so that we might be comforted by the things that we love. God's anger turned away so that we might be comforted by God himself. In his very own self. This is what it means to say God is my salvation. A very famous quote you might have heard summarizes it like this. We are saved from God, by God, for God. We are saved from God, by God, for God. And, and this is how it looks in the... This, this is how it, the... It looks in the verse, from God, though you are angry with me, God's just and holy wrath. By God, your anger turned away to Christ. For God, so that you might comfort me. Friends, one of the ways we truncate the gospel is by functionally believing this. We are saved from our sins by Christ for becoming a better person. Don't we all subconsciously, I mean, there is truth to it. We are saved from our sins by Christ to become a better person. While this may sound true, it's a very truncated truth that shifts the focus of God to us. In this case, God just becomes the means of our salvation. He's just a mere service provider. The picture of salvation we tend to functionally believe in is, uh, is of God as a mere physician who prescribes medicines for our sickness. So we can go to him when we are sick, take those medicines, come back home, take them by ourselves and get well. And sometimes when we get well, we don't even go back to the physician, right? How many of you go back to the doctor and say, Doctor, you are awesome. You are brilliant. No. But this is how we look. This is the picture that we have about our salvation. God as merely a physician. How does this practically play out? When things are not working out, when we are terribly sick, when we hit rock bottom at work, uh, our, our children are acting up, our, 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 our spouse is no longer the kind and loving person that we, you know, uh, we need them to be probably. God, I need you. The moment that things get fixed, we're back to doing things our own way. Friends, looking at salvation like this is one of the major reasons why salvation is not as beautiful and powerful as the Bible seems to be in our lives. If salvation is really that beautiful, why am I not excited by it? Why is this not changing me? Because we have a physician kind of outlook 
to God as a mere service provider, salvation doesn't become as beautiful or as powerful to our hearts. Allow me to give us a better picture. And this is also a very poor illustration, but still better than a physician, right? The picture of salvation that God draws for us is more of a lifeguard who sees us helplessly drowning in raging waters and instead of staying distant and saying, you need to flap both your arms and both your legs and giving us advice from afar, he jumps into the raging waters, puts us on his back and swims us to the shore until we are back on solid ground. Friends, in which of these two cases are you more likely to be more grateful? Is it the physician or the lifeguard? In the physician's case, he just prescribed the solution. In the lifeguard's case, he was the solution. The point that I'm trying to make this morning, and this is the big idea, in Christ, God is not just the means of our salvation, but also the end of our salvation. He is the goal. He is the end game. He is that prize that we get. We are saved by Christ for Christ. He is the goal of our salvation. Now, we probably know this to be true. But if this is true, what salvation am I seeking? Why am I asking this question? Because of our truncated view, where God is saving us from our sins through Christ to become a better person, and Jesus becomes a service provider, because of this truncated view, we start to become a better person, we start to chase some good things, that God has given to become this better person and we start to chase these things and then we go to Christ for them. And that becomes the salvation that we are seeking. To understand this better, let's look at what's happening to Israel during that time. In the previous chapters, Isaiah prophesies that as a result of their utter terrible sin, God will judge them and punish them. And this is what it looked like. The first thing was foreigners would come and destroy their land. We see that in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 7. Second thing is God refuses to see them or hear them. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 15. Then he says he refuses them food and water. Then he says he'll strip the women of their outward beauty. And many things like this go on and on so that God gets their focus of their sinfulness to him as all these things that they were enjoying of them to him. But friends, here's the beautiful part. When God announces their salvation from the sinfulness, he's not saying relief from foreign enemies is your salvation. He's not saying receiving food and water again is your salvation. He's not saying restoring physical beauty is your salvation. He's simply saying God is your salvation. Now don't get me wrong. 
It doesn't mean that all these things are bad. In God's salvation plan, restoration of all things is part of his plan. All these beautiful things will be restored to them. But the point that Isaiah is trying to make is these things in themselves are not your salvation. So allow me to ask us this question again. What is the salvation that you are chasing? You know, as followers of Jesus today in the new covenant, we know that we are not punished for our sins, but we still live in a broken world where the things, good things that we need, that we desire, that we long for, are not given to us or we don't get to enjoy them because we live still in a broken world. When Jesus comes back again, all of these things will be restored. But living today, we know that we are not punished, but the world is still broken and the effects of the brokenness, we feel it. And when we feel this brokenness and these good things that we need are deprived from us, we start chasing these things, these good things, as our salvation. So what is the salvation to probably a very real and tangible problem that you face in your life today? What is the salvation that you are seeking for? We'll go back to that question we began with. What is that one thing in our lives that we desperately need to be fixed, that we desperately need, that we don't have right now? What is the one thing that we feel that if we get today will make me believe in God more? That will make me more secure in God. God, if you do this thing for me, I'm going to be more secure in you. Friends, if we were to rewrite this verse, behold, God is my salvation, the Lord is my strength and my song, and God has become my salvation. If we were to rewrite this with how we honestly feel right now, what is that one thing that is our salvation that when we get that we will trust and not be afraid? What is that one thing if we get it will become our strength and our song? We will erupt with joy. If I have to be honest, for me, it's in this season, it's the assurance of future security that I don't have to wake up being worried about the future. If, if I know in my heart that this is secure, this is all you ever need, we will get it. I'm going to erupt in joy. That is going to become my strength. Friends, what is that for you? You know, in this recession market, uh, job security could be the thing. Probably it's that one skill that you have is going to make you pass that cut and you are ensured that you won't be fired because of that one skill. That skill 
could probably look like your savior, like your salvation. For those of us who have been probably struggling with, have, have had long battles with physical and mental health, probably good health is your salvation. For those of us who have been struggling with probably body image issues, we can't wait for that day where we adorn that glorious body, right? Apart from any imperfections, that glorious body that we dream for has probably become a salvation. For those of us who've probably been ignored and rejected and not seen or heard, we, we probably feel that way here on earth. You probably always felt that way. Being seen, being heard, being cherished is probably your salvation. Friends, what is that salvation? What is that one thing? Now here's the thing. Because in Jesus, we have all these things, security, health, freedom, in every way, because in Jesus we have all these things, it gives us the illusion that we are following him while we are actually chasing these things in the name of following him. We are all sinfully seeking a salvation from God that is not God more than God himself. John Piper, in his book, God is the Gospel, he, he, he poses a very powerful question which hit me like a thunderbolt. It'll help us surface this, this sinfulness of ours a bit more. Here's the question. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all your friends that you ever had on earth, and all the food that you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict ever, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? If we were to honestly answer this question, what would the answer be? All that we ever want, ever, all in heaven, everything that I'm dreaming of, deprived of, eagerly desiring for, will heaven still be satisfying to me? Friends, sin deceives us into chasing a salvation that is not God, from God. What is the hope for us? What is the hope? How do we enjoy God himself as our salvation? Not just as a means to something that we desire, but, but as the end but as the goal of our salvation, how do we enjoy Him as our salvation? God's answer 
to our sinful souls who are not able to enjoy God as our salvation is simply this. He did not withhold the end of our salvation until all of our sinfulness is removed. He did not say, Christ, the chief end, the, the, the ultimate goal of our salvation, the ultimate prize of our salvation, God didn't say, I'm going to withhold him until you fix yourself, until you, until you become worthy of experiencing him, until you, until you become worthy of tasting of his goodness. No. God did not withhold the ultimate prize of our salvation until our salvation is complete. He, he sent in his sovereign love for us, he sent Jesus amidst us. As Isaiah says, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is not just a promise that is kept up only in heaven. He sent Jesus amidst us. And this is not just a New Testament understanding, my friends. It is an Old Testament understanding. Notice that Isaiah is proclaiming this salvation and, and he's saying God is your salvation, but he's not saying repent first, fix yourselves, and then God is your salvation. No, to sinful souls, he's proclaiming God is your salvation. God has become your salvation. God did not, does not withhold the ultimate prize of our salvation until our, the work of salvation is complete in us. No, He's given it to us. This is the assurance. Look at the picture of complete salvation that Isaiah is drawing for us here. In the new heavens and the new earth, we see that in verse 3, he says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Thirsty, parched souls, unending wells, we will draw water of salvation. What a beautiful picture this is, my friends. But God, in His grace, does not withhold that until we get to heaven. God sent His Son the wellspring of life so that we can drink deep of that well of salvation today. Taste and see for ourselves. Satisfy our hearts by... Uh, we, we see that happening, don't we? In, in, uh, when Jesus walks on this earth, he meets the Samaritan woman of, of ill repute. He sees, he meets her at the well. And what does he say? Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God does not withhold the chief goal, the, the ultimate prize of our salvation until our salvation is complete. Because He's He's already given it to us in Jesus and He sent it to us. Our souls can drink deep today and know that He is all satisfying. He is good. This is the only hope for our souls. But you might be thinking, I know all of this. 
I know that I can drink deep of these living waters today. I know that they are available to me today. But my soul still longs for other things more than them. What is the hope for such a broken soul? Friends, this is very real. The healing for us is in looking at what it took for God to open these wells of salvation to us. When Jesus took on our sinfulness and he hung on that cross, as this passage says, God's just and holy wrath turned away from us towards him. And as this wellspring of life took on our sinfulness and hung on that cross, a parched soul cried out, I thirst. And he cried out to fulfill scripture. He took on your thirst and mine. He felt that thirst. This is not just mere physical thirst. This is that, that soul thirst, that craving, that thing that, that keeps us going and, and chase many things for satisfaction. It is that very thirst that Jesus felt on our behalf on that cross. Friends, he felt that thirst so that these wells could be opened up to you and me. That we can drink deep today. We deserve to be that thirsty. We deserve to be left thirsty and, and die thirsty. But Jesus took and stood in our place and felt that thirst. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, The sea is his and he made it. And all the fountains and springs are of his digging. He pours out the streams and runs among, that run, runs among the hills, the torrents which rush down the mountains, the flowing rivers which enrich the plains. One would have said, if he were really thirsty, he would not have told us. For all the clouds and the rains would, would be glad to refresh him. And yet, though he was Lord of all, so that we could be satisfied and he could become fully sinful flesh, he cried out, I thirst. Friends, this is the healing for our souls. The wellspring of life not being withheld, but in fact him experiencing that thirst so that we can drink deep. As I close this morning, I just have one takeaway, and this is for both explorers and, and those of us who believe. Every salvation that we are chasing apart from Christ is absolutely unforgiving. No matter what it is in your career or, or health, what, whatever that you are chasing, whatever that you deeply desire is absolutely unforgiving. Because the moment you make one mistake, that price takes one step back. It becomes one step unattainable. 
But in Jesus, who himself is the prize of our salvation, he is already given to us sinful souls. The wellspring of our life has been already given to us. When you mess up, when, when, you, when you say things like, I know that he is the wellspring, but I don't want to drink, Jesus doesn't step one step back, but he draws one step closer and says, Come, drink. Friends, no matter what salvation you're chasing, if, if, if you're a-religious, if you're chasing all these good things, but if you're religious, every faith system in the world presents you of a God who is attainable once you do something right and keep on doing those good things. But here's a God who caters, who, who has arms open for sinful, sinful souls like you and I. Every time we mess up, he doesn't take one step back. He takes one step forward and says, here, please, come, taste, know that I am good. And this invitation is not just for those who are believers, those of us who believe in Christ. This invitation is it's for everyone. And this morning, if you're feeling that thirst in your souls, if you're feeling that everything that you're chasing is elusive, everything that you're chasing is, is, is not satisfying you in a way that you want it to, even after you've gotten it, Jesus, the wellspring of life, stands and says, come, drink, and be satisfied. He is the goal of our salvation. Allow me to just pray. Um, and even as I pray, uh, would you uh, let's do something very tangible. Uh, the, the, the first thing that we, the first question we began with, what is the one thing that you desperately need to be fixed and broken? What is the one thing that you hope to find in heaven? Bring that one thing to the forefront of your mind. Because that thing that we're chasing for thing that we desperately need finds its satisfaction only in Christ. So don't ignore that thing, but ask Christ to fulfill. Bring that, bring that desire to Christ instead. Say, Lord, this is what my soul is, is thirsty for. Would you would you satisfy my heart in you? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because you do not say uh, every time we mess up, you don't take one step back and say, first you fix that and then come to me. No, every time we mess up, you, you, you draw closer to us. You embrace us. And that is the only healing for our souls. You are the prize of our salvation. 
Holy Spirit, this morning, would you, uh, would you help us to quit chasing vanities that promise us of salvation? Would you help us quit chasing things that promise never-ending wells of water only to leave us more thirsty? Would you draw us to drink deep of Christ and satisfy our hearts in Him today? Oh Jesus, how we need you, Lord. How we need you. We worship you. We worship you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.